and we're back with another episode of Ladies First. Hi. Elizabeth's here again. Yes, I am here once again. Two episodes in a row. What a novelty. Yeah, you haven't been traipsing around Canada. No, no. I have been working at my new job. It will be a while before I will be traipsing around Canada again, unfortunately. Well, yeah, you have to get that money first. That's true. But fortunately, I have something to obsess over instead, because I discovered a new favorite show. We're going to talk about She-Ra. See, here's the thing. I need people to understand, like, as far as fandom goes, I'm kind of ancient because I watched She-Ra as a kid. I even had the action figures. <laughs> so I watched She-Ra as a little girl. And I don't care what the fuck those blowhard dudes are talking about, like, ruined my childhood. I lived during that part, and everybody fucking knows the dudes had He-Man, and they thought She-Ra had cuties, so they can please just sit the fuck down. If anybody's going to be judging the new show based off their nostalgia feels, it's, like, women my age. (laughs) And it's women your age, or... A little bit older than you, but uh, women between my age and your age who uh, made it, who made it clearly. <laughs> <laughs> clearly. So the thing. Um, this is Elizabeth's new obsession, and it would have been mine, but I'm just like so down that new Doctor Who rabbit hole. I, I, I want to be obsessing about She-Ra, but I'm also like, she was nice. There's a lot of fun stuff in here, Doctor Who. I I have not started Doctor Who yet. That's on my list. We may end up talking about that. Who knows? <laughs> Honestly, well, Jodie Whittaker. Is... Uh, Jodie Whittaker, just on her charm alone, I'll watch it. Yeah, so this is, this is definitely, I'm going to be falling in on Elizabeth to do some finer details about this. Because I have binged the series, but then I went right back and re-binged Doctor <laughs> Who. So, um, I hope you're ready. Uh, yeah, no, I'm ready. Uh, I don't really want to, to do a rundown of too much of the plot, or I don't want to go into too much detail about the story, um, because you can just watch the damn show yourself. And honestly, you should. So, we're gonna kind of go ahead and talk under the assumption that you either A, have already watched the show, or B, have no intention of watching the show, so you are totally fine with us ruining pretty much everything that's going to happen and a lot of major plot twists and, and that's still of thing. listening for some reason yes anyway so you have been warned we are going to have a massive amount of spoilers and i don't usually put a spoiler this big of a spoiler warning but the show is pretty new i think it just came out like last week yeah um so fair warning we are going to spoil a ton of stuff and we're also going to talk a little bit about the fan reaction because how could i not this is my hill to die on Okay, I have a lot of thoughts about that, too. Yours probably aren't quite as vehement as mine. Well, so maybe let's it's good talk you're about on that, this Corey. Episode. What, the let's thing? Talk- yeah. Okay, here's my thing, and it ties back into what we talked about last time with our little community making stupid decisions. <laughs> and I'm not trying to ship shame. I don't really want to ship shame. I get the appeal of, was it Catradora? Catradora. Catra and Adora with that whole friends to enemies to lovers bit. But I'm also like, hey, love yourself. If we're looking at actual, like, relationship shit, there's a line. Like, I can still want to get my friend out of the goddamn murder-death cult that we were, like, stolen from and made child soldiers of. But I'm like, 
hey, she did a lot of fucked up shit to me. I don't need to date her to want her to get out of the cult. I'm kind of laughing because this is like such a textbook example of what uh, remember remember that article series that Kai did about the migratory femslash fandom? Yes. So what they do is they take a ship that sort of vaguely fits the specific mold, and you know which one I'm talking about because you've seen certain text posts a thousand times with different character names written in them. Like the one about being drunk and crying about your girlfriend having a girlfriend. That post yeah. has been funny exactly zero times and has been in character for exactly zero of the times I've seen it. And yet, every single fandom that I've been involved in, this stuff comes up again. Also, I would like to point out that Catradora is basically just gay Raylo. Mm. Like, I know this is probably going to be a controversial opinion. I've said it on Twitter a couple times and nobody's come and, like, you know, burn my house down or anything. But that's what it is. And so... Without the added gender dynamics. Well, the gender dynamics, number one, but also um, Catra and Adora don't have a ridiculous power imbalance at the time that the show is set. Maybe when they're kids, but as adults, there isn't that ridiculous power imbalance that there is with Raylo. They're at least on even footing. But, like, Catra is kind of, like, unambiguously a bad person. Like, the show does not mince words about it. And so that's something that I like about it is that they actually allow characters to be evil. Well, and here's the thing. It's not like Adora hasn't been trying to get her out of there. She has given her choice of oh, spoilers. Wait, you already weren't spoilers. Anyways, choice yeah. after choice after chance to leave with her. Like, she has tried and bent over backwards to get Catra out of there. And Catra actively chooses not to go. Catra cares about exactly one thing, and that is Catra. I'm like, sure we're going to have people pitchforking us because I know Tumblr loves Catra for some reason. Okay, but here's the thing. I really like her character. Do you know why I really like her character? Because she is unambiguously evil and bad, and it is entirely – it's because she's selfish. She's not a monster in the sense that she doesn't wish ill things on people. She's manipulative in a self-serving way. She's a particular kind of bad that's very real. Like, every woman ever will have a female friend like this at some point. And some of you get in deeper than others, but, like, most women, especially either in middle school or in high school, had at least one friendship that was like this, where you were friends and really genuinely loved someone who was absolutely toxic, and they loved you, too, but it's still toxic. And, some like, you can you can have something that has good elements and something that you really want but still have it be objectively unfixable. Right. <clears throat> Which, for anyway, me, so I that's just what of... this ship is. I can't, yeah. like, in good conscience, be like, oh, hey, let's romanticize this because we love this, like, friends to enemies to lovers trope. And I have a huge fucking issue with enemies to lovers trope because it always comes on the heels of somebody doing something that in real life we would be like, Get the fuck away from this person. This is not healthy. Never go back to them. But for some reason, in romantic tropes, we codify this. It's like, yes, it's an ideal. And it, I think it goes back to... And somebody who was one of our writers got an earful of this the other day. But I think it goes back to that really old trope of women have to redeem bad men. Yes. And yes. I, that's where it is. Yes. It's like yes. we have yes. to suffer and redeem bad men. And it's just, it's, 
you know, we grow up with it. It's been around for centuries. That's what we do with our little feminine wiles or whatever they call it. But women exist to suffer. And okay. through our suffering, the bad guy is suddenly magically redeemed by the power of our, like, femininity. Okay, but here's what's something that fascinates me about this. is because most gay women or queer women were absolutely capable of pointing out this trope in heterosexual love stories. Like, we see it and we hate it, as we should, because it's bullshit. But what fascinates me is that, because most of our childhood heroines do do this. Like... Buffy, for example, has had a huge imprint and um, and Spike, but like, but think about like the cultural impact that that show had on women between the ages of like twenty four to forty four. Like, there's a huge swath of like it spans multiple generations even of women who grew up on that show, who were kids when it was on, who who were adults where it was tremendously formative. Mm -hmm. And but you see these tropes pop up later in media that shouldn't have them like okay so like say with um with Katra actually no okay um okay I'm gonna help you out here uh I do with Alejandra she's been a guest on here before when we were talking about telenovelas she and I do a Xena rewatch series Mm -hmm. and it's been two damn months since we've done an episode because we watched season three and then we had to go back and rewatch it because holy motherfucking shitballs. Like, I forgot how much problematic shit is in there. <laughs> like, okay, the stuff Zena does, and I'm giving an example for women loving women. I was in middle school when I watched this, so I just gleefully internalized it. There's some shit Zena does. And, you know, when Alejandra and I next month actually get that episode out, we'll talk about it in further. But it is not okay. I think, okay, so I remembered what what my point was, is that part of the female hero archetype, even the one that we carry over into media that's not explicitly heterosexual, part of that archetype is the impulse to fix a broken person. Traditionally, this is played off as a romantic trope because the other person is a man, but say like in She-Ra, it's still like people are still getting that same impulse, but it's sort of bypassing all of their, all of their red flag generators because it's gay and so they're not quite, they're not quite, rec- they don't seem to be recognizing that, like, it's literally Catra the same thing. going to fire a fucking laser cannon at Adora, and actually the only thing that stopped her was the other princesses coming in? What humanizes Catra is the fact that she let She-Ra go. She had an opportunity to kill her, and she didn't do it because she never wanted to see her again. So Catra does have redeemable traits, which, again, is what makes her an interesting villain. But she is still a villain. But the, her maybe even getting a redemption later doesn't wipe out the shit she did and the, you know, the people she hurt. Yeah, and also, redemptions are earned. Adora is not even necessarily all the way through her redemption, because straight through the end of the... And this is, like, what? Like, the first half of a season. It's not a full season. Mm. But even, like, through the first story arc, people still don't inherently trust her. And they shouldn't. She was the Horde soldier. People are still inherently distrustful. The Horde still, up until like halfway through the season, many of the Horde characters still sincerely believe that she's going to come to her senses. And that's the thing. I like how they wrote this because you can sympathize with Adora. She was stolen as a child. She was literally raised as a child soldier. It's why I still have some empathy with Kadra because she's in the same boat. 
Also, Catra was not, they were both raised as child soldiers, but they were raised very differently because Adora was raised to basically be like a general and she was given all of the best treatment and all the best training and she was treated like a princess, like she is. And Catra was basically treated like dirt. Right. So I have empathy for both of them. And on one sense, it's like it's hard to blame them because child soldiers, but. What we see with Adora, like you just said, it takes about halfway through the first season for them to finally realize, okay, she's serious about this. And even Adora doesn't let herself off the hook. She's like, holy crap, I, oh wow, I've been doing some really bad shit. And her entire, carried- thing, her entire thing is, I need to redeem myself. But she's she carries actively a lot of choosing guilt. it. Yeah. No, she act like the show puts her constantly in positions where she must actively make a choice to do something. And even if she doesn't know what choice she should make, she still makes an active decision to do something. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's actually it's a it's an impulse I rather like in heroes, but it is an extremely heroic impulse to still have the inherent desire to do the right thing even if you aren't sure what that is. Well, and what like, I like with Shira though is once Adora is out of there, they don't just throw her to the wolves and expect her to be Shira. You know, you ha- they give her Bo and Glimmer, you know, best friend squad, and even Bo and Glimmer don't trust her initially, but they're at least there to try and guide her and give yes. her the benefit of the doubt that she's going to try. They are very much a trio. And the show does not work without this dynamic, in my opinion. I really no, like they that they the did show. this. Like, if you took Bo or Glimmer, either one of them away, I, w- I don't know that it would work that well, just because they complement each other, all three of them. So this show this show owns owes a tremendous debt to a couple of shows that came before it, but primarily what it seems to be inspired by is Avatar and Legend of Korra. But it also, it does this great thing where it takes a lot of elements for from a bunch of different animated shows, including, like, obviously the original She-Ra. It's very good at taking things from a show and only borrowing what works. Mm-hmm. So, like, from the original framework of She-Ra, so things like the Fright Zone, like the art design on the Fright Zone, it's basically the same. Because that art, the original art design really worked. Right. But, you know, probably 90% of the show was garbage, or it was a toy commercial, and they're like, okay, so we're going to take whatever whatever substance that we can squeeze from this stone... And then we're going to take that and build an entire world around it. Because now, with the new She-Ra, like, you could say something like the Fright Zone, and because I've watched the show, I don't think that name is inherently stupid. And that's a really weird feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but they actually okay. had a budget this time around. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. So, the show is good-looking. It did, Okay, so, I know a lot of people don't like Season 2 of Korra, but what I like about Season 2 of Korra is it was very aware of its own limitations, and it animated around limitations. So, She-Ra does have a lot of action sequences in it, but the show also uses... it. It's very good at cleverly using dialogue and fight scenes to disguise most of the battlefield, so they don't have to animate so much of the fight scene, but still keep up sort of the action motion. Right. And also the painted the painted backgrounds are absolutely gorgeous. Um, the character animation is quite good. So like it's a joy to watch, which I cannot say about the original She-Ra. No, the original She-Ra was just like bargain basement. You want to know some fun trivia? Mm-hmm. The people who did She-Ra, like the He-Man She-Ra, that group. Do you know what they went on to do? Hmm. Batman the animated series. <laughs> 
<laughs> and no, you know why that really? show looks so good? Because, because they had they to had learn to do so much with so little. Yeah. Yeah, no, I believe it. And um, that Batman the animated series, it was one of the Spielberg cartoons, wasn't it? That had a yeah, with that deco, they actually drew. They were like, "All of this stuff is going to be so dark, so why don't we just draw this on black?" Yeah, silhouette instead of like having to color everything. You know, now that I think of the two shows' aesthetics, that actually actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> There's this thing with animation where you could always see, like, this clear line of inspiration in any show. Actually, speaking of, so one of my, another favorite thing about She-Ra, there is an episode that is a lovingly crafted tribute to Invader Zim. So everything, like, they, they use the weird-ass camera angles that Invader Zim was famous for, because Jonah Vesquez has a, he has a very particular art style um, from his comics, and then he brought that into Invader Zim in the animation. And this episode was clearly drawn and storyboarded and thought up by people who absolutely loved Invader Sim. Um, it's so in-jokey. There's so many little references to the show. And then even Entrapta herself is an Invader Zim reference. She's basically like a fan... Like, she's like a female fan version of Zim. Like, that's exactly who she reminds me of. I'm gonna take your word on it because I've obvious... Honestly, I've okay. never seen an episode of Invader Zim. Take it a step further... Did you go to high school with a girl who was weirdly into anime, and they dress in a very particular way? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I went to a, a weird... I was probably the anime fangirl, and I just dressed like anybody else. Like, we didn't really have that. I know. There's something about Entrapta's character design that reminds me a lot of, like, the old dot .hack PlayStation 2 games, and, like... We had a lot of juggalettes. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not quite what I'm talking about. Okay. But there's, there's there's a particular kind of weird that that certain like it was probably like in like the early 2000s to mid 2000s that anime girl like girls who were really into anime there's a particular kind of weird. They also had sort of like a crossover with like rave culture, so they had the big pants and the the neon hair. My childhood is really weird. I'm realizing. Or well, my you also grew up teen. in the Bay Area. Yes, it's true. But like I don't know. You the, couldn't the, do like, that where it, I grew up. <laughs> Entrapta is a particular type of, it's it's the it's she's a particular type of girl that a lot of people probably went to school with and if you didn't go to school with one like her maybe you were the weirdo depending but, on where uh, you grew up yes but uh I don't know like honestly all of the princesses are quite memorable which is something that this is going to sound terrible but I was not expecting that I was not expecting for every single character in the cast to be extremely memorable. Well, okay, I'll tell you right now, original recipe Shira, they were all cookie cutter. <laughs> they were literally the same woman and they just repainted the same the body art. type, but they just repainted different costumes. Which yeah, I will they... say, I will say what I really like about this Shira are the just the depth of body types presented. Yes, my glimmer, my favorite. Um glimmer, you've got Natosa and her, I guess, wife? Are they married? I never quite I don't, figured that out if they're married or not. They're they're with each other. They're with each other. <laughs> like it's pretty much explicitly stated that they're with each other, but Um but I, they may Scorp elaborate later on. Scorpia. She's just like very butch. Yes. And she's also, also just like a big giant softie. Also <laughs> she's, she's evil, but she's a big giant softie. Okay, so she's played by Lauren Ash, who is, like, really leaning hard into this particular, like, she gets, like, cast as this type of part all the time because she's just so, so good at it. 
Like, she was the first voice in the show that I immediately recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Shadow Weaver. Lorraine Shadow the Saint. Weaver. Yes. I yeah. love a queen. I think I've talked about this with Sahara before on one of our episodes, but I am just, like, a massive Lorraine to Saint fan. But, yeah, so when you look at, like, and then uh, when you look at, like, the cast... It's quite a diverse cast that actually honestly surprised me because I the reason why I went to originally look into the casting is because I want um I wanted to see um the animators and see how many women worked on this show and the answer is a surprisingly large number like probably 50% of the crew was female and that's really unusual in animation. Well, yeah, but here's the thing um the voice cast, the voice actress who does Shira is not white. Amy Carrero? Nope. nope. Um, Karen Fukuhara is Glimmer. You guys may recognize that name from... She was... Um, oh, I just... Katana. Katana, yeah, from Suicide yeah. Squad. Yeah, that and, one surprised me. <laughs> yeah, like, Carrera is Puerto Rican and Dominican, and Dominican Republican. Like, um, Marcus Scribner is Bo... Resh Machete is Angela. Like, there's a very diverse voice cast, which I was really impressed with. Yeah, and, like, the show itself also does that. I mean, even, like, within the context of fantasy characters, there are still fantasy characters who are not just, like, a shit, like, maybe one shade darker than the white characters. There are actually characters with really dark skin. Right, well, I mean, they even got Sandra Oh in there as Castispello, which, I'm sorry, is still the dumbest that... name in all of existence, but whatever. Oh, I agree. I agree. I I cannot say it without sort of smiling. I know, I just, so... you say it, and you're like, eh. Castispello, God, it's so dumb. Who wrote that? The original series. Oh my God, are you serious? It's almost yeah. as bad as Cinderella. They, for, they just decided to keep it, which is unfortunate, but whatever. I really yes. love my favorite, and this is really sad because I love the main cast, but Mermista, uh, Vela Lavelle as Mermista, I loved, loved that character. She immediately reminded me of April from Parks and Rec. She was just, like, almost kind of that dryness to her voice. And like, she's I... just putting up with Seahawk. I love her, like, introduction is, like, when she, they're, like... Or when they first arrive into her palace and Seahawks like I'm here and she's like ew why are you here? Well, and here's here's the thing: when I say the original princesses were um, cookie cutter, I don't just mean <laughs> by how do I say this um, design. I mean they had the same voice actress. Melindy, Melindy Britt, she did She-Ra, she was Mermista, she was Catra, she was a lot of the princesses. So, yeah, no, I am dead serious. Yeah, she was Mermista, she was Catra, she was, um, obviously She-Ra, she was Castispella in the original one, too, uh, she had to do a lot of the voice work. And to her credit, she made them at least sound somewhat distinguishable. But when we talk about they were kind of cookie cutter, like they were really kind of cookie cutter because they couldn't afford multiple voice actresses. 
So they had her doing a lot. She had coup, I remember. Um, so oh the fact God. that That's... they have such a... Here's my thing. It's just I remember how fun but not great original She-Ra is. And I don't understand why people are so up in arms. Because we actually have... All the characters have a fucking different voice actor like that alone is amazing. Well, they don't like it because they changed the character designs. Well, I know it's not little hot like warrior ladies that they can do certain things to in their own private bathrooms. See, and that's the thing is that like I remember when not they first they started playing in the first place. Yeah, when they first started. Yeah, because that's the thing is like because like I missed the Shira era. I was t- I'm too young for that. But like even I know like boys did not watch cartoons that had women. As the no, stars. they watched he- like they watched He Man. I specifically remember the boys were like, "Oh, you're gonna watch She-Ra. She's a girl. Y'all yeah. didn't fucking like She-Ra when it was when you were that old. You're, I know exactly what your problem is, and it ain't the fact that it's ruining your childhood. No, and that's the thing is like, and also this She-Ra, like this version of it is inspired by so many like female fronted cartoons that boys didn't watch, like. Like, Sailor Moon is an obvious, humongous influence on this show. Atla kind of had it even split on gender, but, like, let's be real. Like, the majority of that fandom is female. Legend Mm -hmm. of Korra, majority female fandom. Invader Zim, surprisingly, majority female fandom. Like, it's sort of just this, like, great show that's, like, a tribute to all of these shows that just boys did not watch. And you know what? The show doesn't care that you didn't watch them. In fact, it kind of revels in it because it's inside jokey to all the girls who grew up watching these other shows. Mm-hmm. Everybody who worked on this show really loved Clamp. I have not watched don't know that, who- but I will take your word on it. <laughs> Clamp is a card capture Sakura as their most famous work, but they did a whole bunch of... They're, they're famous for being an all-female studio, anime studio, and manga. Cool. You know, anyway. I said I watched a lot of anime in high school, but I'm kind of like, I think I missed that big, massive wave in the 2000s because by then I was already out of high school and I was like, I'm in college now. I well, have to be grown up and watch stuff like Aqua Teen Hunger Force because I hung out with a bunch of dudes and that's all they watched. So I thought I had to watch that too. Yeah, but I'll. But the thing is, is that like the mid two thousands got taken over by like fucking like basically all anybody watched in the mid two thousands was Naruto, Full Metal Alchemist, um, and what was that one? All the girls, the straight girls, loved it. Death Note. That was pretty much it. Like, I know, I'd say the mid, mid-2000s were kind of a dark time for anime. That's when you kind of had to go deep diving for the classics. Also, that was before Crunchyroll. Like, you used to have to watch the episodes, like, five minutes at a time on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm so old. I'm so old, Corey. Really? Because when mm-hmm. I was in high school, we had Evangelion and... Like, <gasps> Yushigi My- Yugi and shit like that. Oh my god, Fushigi Yugi, I remember that. Did you ever watch Tenshi Muyo? Yeah. Another show. Another I show still that have clearly... Alchemy of Love as a single somewhere on my computer because I tracked it down. Okay. Like both so... the English and the Japanese versions from that one movie, the Tenshi Muyo movie. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, does it, like, Catra remind you of Washu a little bit? 
Oh my god! <laughs> yes, you know what I'm talking about. Oh my god! And and holy uh, shit, she does. And Entrapta, Entrapta looks like Ray a little bit, and I'm just like remembering their dynamic from Tenshi Moyo. I'm like, this actually fits. I bet you this is an inspiration. There is a character in the the flashback episode, one of the generals when uh, Catra and Adora is a. I'd have to look at them side by side to see if they're exactly alike, but essentially it's like a character from Undertale, mm-hmm. which is another another thing that's probably been a big big influence in the storytelling, I think, of this show. Okay. I get it. <laughs> okay, so Undertale is a game that is particularly famous because it's sort of weaponized empathy. Okay. The, it's hard to explain, but like essentially when the game is very good at making you feel the kind of guilt you're supposed to feel about ending someone's life, and it uses video ga- traditional video game mechanics and sort of subverts them in that like there's always a non-combat solution to a problem there is always a non-violent solution to a problem the less violent you are through the course of the game the better the ending you get okay so but the game is like this tremendous emotional experience and i think it's had a lot of impact on what people consider to be serious content because Shira is a very serious show in the sense of the topic it covers, but there's never a moment where you feel like sad. Right. Like it's sort of, it's sort of like, you know, like the walking dead just makes you want to hang yourself. Well, Actually, no, you don't want, you don't watch I love it myself. No, but you're, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like a lot of serious show, or like, huh? Broad church, the BBC show, broad church. It's like, it's really good, but oh my god, I cannot binge it because it is very dark. <laughs> yeah, like you have to you have to like watch an episode of King of the Hill or something inconsequential afterwards just to get yourself out of that headspace. You know but, who else Adora kind of reminds me of that I think they took off of a little bit? Hmm. Utana. Hmm. I was gonna say that there's that those two characters who are clearly a nod to that. <laughs> uh, I'm blanking on their names. Because they're just—it's just like a quick blink and you miss it, like thing in the beginning, right? But I'm like, no, the whole like outfit and everything with the little boy shorts, like when you take oh, yes. out the sword out and everything—that kind of reminds me of Adora becoming Shira. Well, also that like uh, like Adora's transformation is clearly inspired by like the anime magical girl transformation. Oh, absolutely, because I remember like... the original series is just like for the honor of was it Grayskull? Uh-huh. And it's just like lightning jumps down and all of a sudden she's changed. Brilliant. Yeah, no. So the new Shira takes the transformation sequences from Sailor Moon, shortens them a bit, and then modernizes it. And so a lot she gets more rainbow. Well, oh no, oh no. Sailor Moon was rainbowy. Like while they were transforming, their whole bodies were covered in a rainbow and at least oh, okay. that's right. There's it's a slight been a while per- since I watched Sailor Moon. As conversion had even more covered up because of the the difference in censorship laws just spilling out behind her and this big wild blonde glowy mane it's awesome <laughs> but like okay so something that shira does that impresses me is it takes a lot of things that are traditionally feminine and then makes them badass but not in a way that makes me feel like i'm being condescended to and, like, this is a balance that pretty much everything when we were kids that tried to do this failed miserably at it. 
like think back to like the girl power movements of like the early 90s and think about how condescending all of that felt compared to like Shira, who takes princesses whose literal powers her literal power is flowers and makes her like one of the most objectively powerful princesses right but it takes I'm... like hmm go ahead no, it takes it takes these things that like as or like okay, so here's another good example. This show has single-handedly changed my opinion on horses and unicorns and pegasi. That is an endorsement. You can write that one down cuz I have always hated horses and unicorns and pegasi cuz that is girl bullshit. And this show managed to frame them in such a way where I'm like this is badass. Unicorns are awesome. Give me well, one with the rainbow mane. Remember, towards the end of the series, when they go into the room where Glimmer's been stashing all these weapons, and he wants this giant fucking mace. And it's like, yeah. dude, you can't even fucking use it. But he's like, <laughs> he wants the mace. And even Adora's like, no! It's not, I mean, it's not just that, it's... It's that these things are presented without shame. Like, Shira takes place in a world where women were allowed to be whatever they wanted without anything having, like, baggage associated with it. Mm-hmm. Because you see a lot of mixing of, like, butch and femme aesthetics within the same characters or personality tra- Like, there's a lot of, like, push and pull in all the characters. They feel like real women because they don't actually fit in a box. None of them do. You know what? I actually think Shira, and I've been thinking about this. Um, it's like it took a lot of like the anime, specifically like what we talked about with Sailor Moon or Fushigi Yugi or Utena um, or Tenshi Muyo. And I think at that time, it was anime was doing some really transgressive stuff with like weaponizing femininity. And I, you're think actually right. This is, like, the next evolution of what started as weaponized femininity to now it's more, like, actualized femininity, where it's not a weapon, but it's there, and it's what it is, and it's complex, and messy, and amazing, and it's just, it doesn't give a fuck. Now, and you're right, because, like, because even, like, Buffy is another great example of what weaponized femininity looks Mm -hmm. like. The show is, like, the show wrote the book on weaponized femininity. In fact, you could probably blame most of it on Buffy. To be completely honest. Well, I mean, I do still think it started with that whole magical girl thing, but as far as, like, Western conceptions of it go, definitely Buffy. I think it's also that even those shows, which did have weaponized femininity, um, there was still sort of this layer of, like, this is for girls. It's sort Mm -hmm. of hard to explain, but, like... Okay, so even things like... Like, Serena from Sailor Moon, Serena's relative immaturity is kind of obnoxious and feels, in a modern lens, quite sexist. Mm-hmm. Or, like, so, like, oh, that's another thing, is that um, Shira has the characters cry all the time. And I actually really all like this. All the characters, not just the women. No, not just the women. Actually, like, yeah, Bo cries a lot. Kyle cries a lot. I would cry a lot if I were Kyle. Poor Kyle. Everybody shits <laughs> on Kyle. <laughs> It was honestly one of my favorite sequences because, like, the second that they had Kyle bring Bo the tray in prison, I was like, oh, he's going to, like, talk his way out of this, isn't he? Because <laughs> poor Kyle just wants somebody to pay attention to him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, but yeah, characters cry all the time, and they cry for more than one reason. Like, one of my favorite scenes in the show is Adora walking out of, like, a, it's like a meeting where she basically has to put on a strong face. She walks out the second the door slams, she starts crying out of frustration. 
And, like, this is a low bar to set, but, like, I think Legend of Korra is the only other show I can think of immediately where, like, this is something that's done without it being, like, a very special episode. Right. Like, it's this is just so weird to say this, that, like, it's novel that a show actually bothers to show you the full range of human emotions. Mm-hmm. Like, people cry from happiness in this show. It's weird. Happiness, frustration, they're sad, they're angry. I mean, they're just letting the full emotional spectrum just kind of flit through whoever it's being focused on, even people in the background. Yeah, and the the show manages to... It manages to have a lot of moral nuance to it, but it keeps its core conflicts simple, which it helps it avoid the mistake that Legend of Korra makes, where, because... Part of the problem with Legend of Korra is it was written season to season. But essentially, Korra looks like a crazy reactionary in a lot of cases because she kind of has to be because of how the show was written. But right. She-Ra, like, keeps the, like, She-Ra keeps the conflict nice and tight and humanizes its villains but never walks back from the stance that what they are doing is wrong. Adora is in the right. The right thing has to be done to save the world. Right. Well, and I want to go into... Because we've actually talked about this for almost 40 minutes, and I want to make sure we have time to talk about the queer content. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, I knew this was going to be good before I was able to binge it. I saw on Tumblr just a photo of a dress. <laughs> they put the fucking lesbian flag pattern on the dress train for one of the characters. And then had her kiss, kissing another woman in the background of this one of the shows. This show shots. is not subtle. <laughs> okay, so now I know some people are disappointed that the show is not more overtly queer. Which, like, they I have to say, they put a lesbian flag on one of okay. the characters. Corey, let me finish because you have to remember what were the two last big LGBT events in cartoon fandom. It was the Steven Universe wedding, and then the Adventure Time series finale. And both of these featured on-screen, unambiguous kisses. So, How bad is this that I forgot about both of them? <laughs> well, that's I why I don't watch a lot of animated shit anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, can you tell that, like, my entire life is cartoons now? Um, cartoons and Supergirl. Anyway, but... Um, so this is going to seem like... If, like, if you're expecting that level of canonization, you're, you're going to be let down. However, the characters kissing in the background, the dress, and the way that the female characters interact with each other in the show, um, this is, like, the kind of stuff that, like, other shows brag about in, like, season 15. Or, like, like, there's more, there's more, I guess you could, I guess you could say queer coding. There's more queer coding in the first season of She-Ra than there is in the entire series of Legend of Korra. She-Ra is what I Shira is what I thought Legend of Korra was going to be when people pitched it to me. You know, I am going to say it's just so natural there and organic that, you know, there wasn't like this big build up to it. It's just it already exists. And I will say this is the same company that does Voltron. So Voltron, you and I have talked about this. They have, <laughs> they have no excuse now for, oh, well, the heads wouldn't let us do that. Like, Buddy, they let Noelle Stevenson, like, <laughs> dunk all Hold my beer. in a can of rainbow paint. You Honestly, no like, excuse. 
And the thing is, it's not even just like, oh, because it's all women in it, the, like, Femsla, you know, that Femsla is picking up on it. Um, I would go as far to say that some of it is intentional. Like, I don't know. Okay, so I will admit this right now. I like Glimmer and Adora because um, I want Adora to be with somebody who deserves her, who is not a terrible, selfish cat person. Well, it, it goes back to, remember in our last episode when we were talking about tipping the velvet? <laughs> yes. When Nan has to choose between, what was it, Florence and I forgot the other lady's name. Kitty. Kitty. And you and I were like, don't, <laughs> don't do it. Don't fuck this up. And I yeah. feel like I'm that with Adora right now between Katra and Glimmer, where Glimmer is Florence and Katra is Kitty and Adora is Nan. I'm like, Nan, don't you fuck this up. Don't See, the thing fuck is. Don't fuck this up again. Is I like that it's completely devoid of romance at the moment. However, like, Glimmer and Adora are so effortlessly affectionate with each other, and they're staging in certain scenes where I'm just like... Like that claw scene? Not just... Okay, so that... Okay, what the fuck was that? Like, that's pretty... Okay, so just for context, ladies and gentlemen... (laughs) and, And ladies and gentlemen and people of all genders... Um... So... It's uh, Adora and Glimmer and Bo are all relaxing in a spa. Bo is in his own tub. Uh, Adora and Glimmer start in separate tubs, and then when they cut back to the scene later, Adora and Glimmer is like nestled into Adora's bosom, <laughs> and they're both smiling and having. And they're both eyes smiling closed. and yeah, and like and like you know, quite like uh, contently snoozing. And then in the big finale episode, or not the big finale, it's, um, I think it's the, when they're making the, it's either the big finale or when they're making their escape, but there's a part where Adora has to grab Glimmer and lift her up as She-Ra and like uh-huh. Glimmer like falls into her arms with like a trail of happy tears. Like that was gay. That was Or when so they're trying queer. to get um, She-Ra or Adora out of that like m- mental mindscape she was in. Yes. And you see Glimmer is literally cradling her, practically yes. ready to sob and Oh. <laughs> I'm like again, they're not there yet. But if you're a film slash shipper, all uh. of the little signs are just like giant fucking neon glow in the dark. Hey, pre-shipping. Hey, pre-relationship. Hey, they dig each other. So I do not inherently like relationships that are rooted in conflict because I just don't feel like a good, rela- a healthy relationship can be built upon a foundation of conflict. Mm-hmm. Like, the only way that I would be okay with Katra and Adora being a thing was if we're talking, like, season three and we had an entire season of a Katra redemption arc where she, like turn coat and like single-handedly turn the tide of the war for the princesses and then also apologize for all the shitty things she did and then made an active effort to be a better person yeah. which the show isn't the show is entirely capable of writing that character because they've done a pretty good job thus, thus far of characterization however i like glimmer and i don't know i like the idea that i like that glimmer isn't like super skinny especially in this art style like, it's kind of novel that well, Glimmer is, like, five feet tall and kind of chubby. Personality-wise, though, I like that she also holds Adora accountable. And Adora's yes. like, yeah, you should absolutely call me on my shit. Yes. Like, Adora doesn't make excuses with Glimmer. She's like, you're right, I need to be better. 
Yes. Also, you know, the spa thing. Yeah, and they, like, they, I don't know, they just, co- their personalities complement each other. Like, mm-hmm. let, like, let me tell you something, kitties. Opposites attract is something that you grow out of. It like, gets I know very, that you're, very tiring. You're going to be like, going to be like, no, I'll be shipping opposites attract well into my 40s. And I'm like, no, no I tell you, you will not. And if you do, then ask yourself why you crave chaos in your life, because that is not normal. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, like, like when you're younger, you you like this big passionate relationship thing. It, it's attractive because you're young, and right now your brain is still like this Molotov cocktail of hormones. So you want something that matches what your brain's going through. And then you get older, and you become an adult, and you get a job, and you have bills, and you have all this other shit to take care of. And you're like, oh my god, this is so exhausting. Why can't I just have somebody who will get toilet paper if i text them from work and they're like oh i think we're out can you buy, buy some just to be sure i mean and you can ship whatever you want it's okay to like things just because they're fun to like mm-hmm. but like that's not the way the meta is written if you just want this to, if you want this to come across as like a like hey whatever people can ship what they want like you know don't don't go name calling <laughs> and don't go cross tagging your bullshit yeah but also, like, you know, just when you get older, stability and reliability become way more attractive traits than... Even before you have, like, real responsibilities. Like, even, like, okay, someone like me, I don't have children or anything like that, but, like... You have a job. But yeah, I have a job, but, like, you know, I would consider my level of responsibility to be reasonably low. I have a 40-hour-a-week job, and I don't have any children or pets or anything. But, like, as you know, as you get older, people have more things going on in their lives. You Like, you know, maybe their parents are elderly. Maybe they have a fucked-up sibling who lives with them because they got out of rehab. Or maybe, maybe they have kids. Maybe you work kids. a job that wants you to work 30 extra hours of overtime a week because their boss doesn't want to work two days a week. Yeah, or maybe you you're. De- that. Yeah, well, yeah, that was that was my situation yeah, that was earlier. Literally, you for like yeah, or, all of the summer. Yeah, all of this year, like until like August of this year. This is my situation, or like I don't know. You could be like, we're, I'm approaching the age where like people who are my peers have gotten divorced. That is so weird to think about. Or you have a but chronic like, illness or something like that. It's like you. Honestly, older, most of us do at this point. <laughs> like shit happens, and. The spontaneity, like, stay out all night, go do all this stuff on a whim. Oh, God. It it becomes less attractive. You want somebody that's going to be like, oh, hey, uh, I saw you were running low on tampons, so I just picked some up because I was out shopping. You also just run out of energy. Yeah, it's like energy to deal with that shit gets depleted very quickly the older you get. Exactly. Like, you just... I know that, like, the characters in the show are supposed to be teenagers. They actually, like, read a little bit older than teenagers to me. Like, they young, read, like, really... early 20-somethings. Yeah, when I, when, I lo- when I first saw Adora's character art, I was like, that girl is in, that girl's, like, 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looks like a girl who, she looks like a girl who's, like, a freshman or sophomore in college, honestly. Anyway, But, like, but they're, but they're young, so, of course, like, this is gonna be very emotionally dramatic show it has to be but like i don't know i just feel like there's no way in katra to get over the trauma that they've inflicted on each other at this point Mm -hmm. like i mean especially katra like there's no coming back from this 
She's basically put her feet. She's basically dug her heels, dug her heels in, and just like, okay, I'm going to be Hordak's second. Which, by the way, the actual villain of the series didn't even really factor much into this season. Shadow Weaver was the villain for most of the season. Yeah, like Catra has well and truly made her decision. Like, I'm gonna double down yeah. on being a horde general. It was very much like it's like in the Last Jedi when fucking when Ky- when they when Kylo kills Snoke. So I should have said spoiler alert. Whatever, it's been a year. You've seen it. They've had uh, but when, of time. Yeah, when Kylo kills Snoke, and you're like, yeah, and then they start fighting off the Jedi soldiers, and you're like, yeah, and then he's like, join me, and we'll rule the universe, and you're like, fuck, because <laughs> of course, because of course, Ray is like, it doesn't have to be this way, Ben, and he's like, no, I'd rather be an asshole, and she's like, fuck. Yeah, it's like, that's how it is with Cat. Like, that's why I think you see a lot of Raylo parallels, because Catra has every chance to choose a different path, like Adora has. And Adora has it every chance, even if it's not the best decision, has chosen to not do bad things. Catra even attempts to burn the bridge for a... That's how, like, sure of her decision she is. She's... Her... Her... Her anger is more important to her than trying to mend her relationship with her best friend. Even if you could argue that Catra only cares about two things, Adora and Catra, Catra is still number one. Mm-hmm. You know, and what I honestly, I would think would be kind of cool, and we never really see this because we always see th- these villains that get so up on their own feelings that they do these heinous things, and then they normally, like, they die or we never see what happens to them again. I would love to see, like, the aftermath of them getting what they wanted or, like, they actually realize it's like, oh, like, the other shoe drops and they're like, I'm a really terrible person, but now there's no coming back from this. What did I do? <laughs> that like, is, you never uh, see that part. Corey, that is literally the plot of Megamind, which is a DreamWorks film. <laughs> well, guess what? I've not seen. Really? Oh, it's a... Okay, so... so is I that know, like it, a minion thing? Okay, no, Megamind is a film about a villain, like a very classic bad guy, who kills the Superman character in the first five minutes of the film. And then the film is about him having an existential crisis because his life ceases to have meaning without a, without a hero to fight, and so he secretly starts doing good things just to see how it feels. <laughs> and the actual villain of... Not having an existential crisis, but in that sense of, like, you realize I pushed everybody that could have cared for me or that I cared about away irrevocably, and now I'm alone. And I can't do anything yeah. to change this. Well, okay. that Maybe not quite that context. But, yeah, it's but it's a similar, a similar uh, situation. But, yeah, I don't know. I just, I want Cantra to say evil is because... <sighs> I don't know. This show feels like it has the potential to do what Avatar did and just fucking actually double down on, like, not everybody can be saved. Like, one of the best things about all of the best cartoons is that they don't have an on, like, they don't have an unrealistically happy ending in the sense that not everything works out. You have Mm -hmm. to have some tension. There has to, the heroes have to experience some loss or there's no stakes. But, so, Adora losing Catra is pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and again, it's like, Catra's pretty far down the rabbit hole of choosing to be more and more and more and more evil. At this point, I would think Scorpia would (laughs) switch sides more readily than Catra would, because at least, 
like she thinks about somebody other than herself. Even something if it is that Catra. I something that I like about why Catra is irredeemably evil is that okay, so just watch the way that she manipulates Entrapta and Scorpia. Yes, and that that should be your clue that Catra is an unambiguous. Because she tries to use that against people. She tries. To, she's one of. She's a mean girl. To be honest, I, like I'm looking forward to when Entrapta realizes that. Oh no! They didn't leave me. They were led to believe I was dead, and you've been lying yeah. to me this entire time. I don't know. I also like Entrapta because she's sort of like a true no- neutral. She literally does not care about anything except her machines. She's act. She's actually quite fascinating in that I way. Think Perfuma. <laughs> I think she cares about her, and I think that's what's going to be when she finally finds out is going to be like, uh, what tips her over. Like I could uh, see her being like, I just don't want anything to do with anybody, but I could see her rejoining the princesses because of Perfuma. Oh, ow, my heart! <laughs> just because, like you know, Perfuma is going to lose her shit when she realizes Entrapped has been alive this entire time. I love that she made a giant fucking statue for her. I know, right? Like, again, that's a little queer, but like, I don't know. Perfuma is like a ticking time bomb a little bit. Like, I I love uh, I love how she's always just like on just the bleeding edge of her patience, <laughs> mm-hmm. but still trying to keep a happy face. Well, at least like with Mermista, she's like, I'm over this shit. Perfuma <laughs> is like, hey, everything's fine. <laughs> everything's great. I love how everybody in this show has a different bad way of dealing with stress. Yeah. Or I mean, or unless unless your name is Adora, in which case, like, your entire life has been stressed, so you just look for something else to do. I know the show the show hops, skips, and jumps over it pretty gleefully, but honestly, like you find out how bleak Adora's childhood was, like she didn't know what a party was. A party. Yeah. Like, she didn't know what the birthday was. I know, but, like, and that's the thing where I love, like, Super Best Friend Squad, because, like, you see these little glimpses of Bo and Glimmer realizing how shitty Adora's childhood was, and they're just like, (gasps) And they make an effort to make things better for her. Yeah. Like, it would be very easy to take advantage of the fact that Adora is, you know, very, she beats herself up. Not shelter, but she beats herself up about things a lot. She internalizes mm-hmm. guilt a lot. It would be very... A lesser person would take advantage of it, but I like that her friends don't let her fall into that pit of despair, that right. they actively combat her toxic programming. Well, and even when you see Shira or Adora struggling with who is Adora and who is Shira, like, what are they supposed yes. to be? And does Adora even have a purpose? You know, um, I think that's why they're really important, because they keep Shira from... Sp- Ah, Adora from like spiraling off the deep end of I should just be Shira all the time. Adora is not important. You know, that's yeah. what Glimmer and Bo are is like, no, Adora is important. Adora is what makes Shira a hero, not Shira being Shira. Yes. That and is I think very that was her big lesson to learn this season. It is it's the it's the Spider Man lesson. With great power comes great responsibility. A little bit. A little bit, but, um... Oh, I had another thought. Anyway, we're running low on time, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We need to wrap this up. Yeah, okay. Alright, final thought. I have a headcanon that the reason why Bo's name is spelled the way it is, B-O-W, is because his actual name is Rainbow. I could buy that. 
Yes. My final thought is you should just watch it. It's it's a lot of fun. Honestly, it's phenomenal. It's one of the it's one of the best cartoons I've seen. It's just it's fun and it's pretty pure. There's not a lot of like bad unpacking you have to do with it. It's just something you can watch and feel better. And you don't necessarily funny. have to cry like if you're watching dogs on Netflix. Oh yeah, no. It's not like us like it has like good cry moments. But like it has, it's like Supergirl. You cry because the characters have triumphed. Mm-hmm. It's just like honestly, it's just a joy to watch. Like I've already watched it through three times. That's how much I liked it. So yeah, go watch it. Anyways, we're gonna wrap up. Um, yeah. If you have not heard already, we plug it every episode. But just in case, if this is your first time tuning in, um, we do have a fundamentals plus option if you want to help support our site one of the perks is you get a shout out on the podcast of your choice so if you want elizabeth and i to give you a shout out on ladies first um you can ask for that uh it's we have two tiers uh one is three dollars a month the other one is thirty dollars for a year and basically, you get two months for free at that price. So you can check that out on our side of our uh, top menu ribbon. It just says FM Plus, if you'd like to look at that. And also, also, we're throwing this out on Thanksgiving Day, but Cyber Monday. If you are not already subscribing to Fundamentals Plus, we have a special price. So you should check us out that day. Yes. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also on Spotify if you want to check us out over there. Don't forget to look at our other podcasts we have, Unabashed Book Snobbery, The Fundamentalists, Right to Survive, and Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. We have a lot of podcasts. We also have some that are exclusive to Fundamentals Plus subscribers. Oh, yes. Uh, Fireside Fundamentals. Uh, That is an exclusive podcast that only members will be able to listen to and i'm doing the next one and we're talking all about doctor who so you may want to tune in awesome thank you guys you kind of keep us going for this we really like listening to your comments if you want to spaz out about shira down below we'd love to read and join in on the fangirling (laughs) have a good thanksgiving break we will be back in december yes we will all right bye Bye-bye.